right. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew 13, if you have a Bible. Uh, You can read it on your phone as well. I'm glad Keith showed you that that's possible. So you can redeem your smartphone use a little bit there. We're learning together why Jesus matters today. I like that head shake. I saw Scott there. (laughs) He's like, no, you can't redeem it. But, oh, man. Why does Jesus matter today? He helps us understand why we are the way we are. Why are we the way we are? And there's a, there's a funny moment in the office that helps me think about this a little bit. Michael Scott, so ridiculous. There's a moment when, and he's relating with Toby Flenderson. You remember Toby, maybe you've seen the show. He's the HR representative at this branch. And what worse job could you have than having to be the HR representative with Michael Scott, who is just absolutely horrendous and violates every possible code uh, that any workplace could possibly have to make a professional and safe environment for people to work. But Michael decides that he wants to host a party in the warehouse and uh, it's going to benefit the Boy Scouts of America. And he's gonna have the Boy Scouts come on side to receive the money that they raised for them by having a very adult party with alcohol and gambling and catering from a company that despite the advertising has nothing to do with owls. So it's this very adult-themed party that they want to have there. And Toby, of course, is reminding him, uh, Michael, this is, this is a bad idea for all of these reasons. And so Michael turns to him, <laughs> and he says, in classic Michael Scott angst, he says, why are you the way that you are? <sighs> Every time I try to have some fun, you make it not that way. I hate so much about the person you choose to be, Michael says. And Toby just stands there and takes it. Poor guy. But the the irony of this moment, Michael asking, why are you the way that you are, is that throughout this episode and all the episodes, frankly, you see so much of why Michael is the way he is, so much of his heart exposed. He wants the most ridiculous of things just so that he could be liked by people. That's what he's after. He needs it so desperately. And Toby is standing in the way of him having what he wants, of him being liked, being the most popular boss. Now Jesus is coming into the midst of his people in Matthew 13. And he's speaking about his kingdom. He's going to be speaking in parables and stories, using some of the sights and familiar sounds and and the ordinary workaday realities of fishing and trade that they would have known from their world. And he comes just on the heels of having healed so many of their people, working wondrous powers. But many people are still rejecting him because as Jesus comes to them and speaks, He speaks against the things that they want. He's like Toby Flenderson. He's keeping them from having the things that they want. And so many of them won't hear him. They're determined to not hear. Well, in these parables, Jesus is doing a gracious thing for us. He's holding up a mirror for us, and he's helping us to see why we respond to him the way we do, why we are the way we are in response to him. That's what he's going to show us if we would dare to look. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to let Jesus hold up that mirror for us.
Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this word. Lord, uh, for some of us, this will, um, this will be very difficult to hear how you have a better de- design for our desires than we do. How you're something better than what we even think we want. So I pray you would open our hearts to hear today. Open our eyes to see Jesus, that you'd change us. And I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Why does Jesus matter today? He shows us why we are the way we are. He exposes the condition of our hearts. But heart, what does that mean in in Bible speak? We're not just talking about this part of our anatomy. We're not talking about the thing that we know so much about today due to modern medical science and study. We're talking about uh, the metaphorical seat and center of us and who we are. B.O. Banwell, great name, Uh, He wrote about the heart in this way in the New Testament. It is the seat of the will, of the intellect, and of the feeling. This means that heart comes the nearest of the terms to mean person. In other words, when the Bible speaks of your heart, it's talking about who you are at the core. And so if Jesus is, is asking you, what's the condition of your heart? may seem abstract. It's kind of like he's saying, how are you? No, really, how are you? Have you had somebody do that? A lot of times if somebody asks me a question like that, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. And so it's so helpful to us, isn't it, to have somebody who's a wise counselor who can draw it out of us. That's what Proverbs 20 verse 5 says. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So thankful for those in our lives who draw these things out of us. And this is what Jesus is doing here. He's drawing out our hearts. James K.A. Smith, a helpful teacher, he writes in a little book he wrote called You Are What You Love. He writes that discipleship, which is what we're after together, friends, we're a disciple-making family. Smith writes, discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and intentional, intentional about what you love. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and our longings with the kingdom of God. What do you want then? Did you know that's a question Jesus asks? He asks his disciples, Matthew 20, verse 21, what do you want me to do for you? Could you imagine if Jesus did this? He's drawing out your heart, but he just asks you what you want. He gives you a blank check. What do you want? And, and in the moment, if you didn't say the thing that you think you should say because Jesus is asking it, but you actually said what you want, what would come out? Well, for his disciples, who were embarrassingly with their mom at that moment, the thing that they wanted was to be seen. They wanted popularity, glory, fame. That's what they wanted. Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking for. Some of us, we want bent things. We want to have the crazy adult party in the warehouse with the owl people. You know, that's in our heart. But some of us, Jesus would come to us and we would say things like what he heard frequently. I just, I want my son to be healed. I long that my mother, that she would be whole again. I want to see my family. They've been separated from me for so long. I, I wish that my, my children would, would, would know God and delight in him and follow him. 
I, I want forgiveness. I, I've messed everything up. I just wish I could be back in community and have relationship with people because no one will have anything to do with me. Jesus came for these exact things. This is what the kingdom of God came to bring. If you want these purpose, forgiveness, hope, healing, this is why Jesus came. But today, he holds up a mirror for us and just says, what do you want? <laughs> he exposes the condition of our hearts. Do we experience Jesus as a delight, as the giver of delight today, or do we experience him as Toby Flenderson telling us you can't have your warehouse party? That's what I invite you to think as we start into Matthew 13. Jesus went out of a house and sat beside the sea. There's a great crowd gathering, so he gets into a boat so that he's not pressed into the sea, and he's speaking to them from there. And there he says in verse 3, in a parable... <clears throat> which are short stories, analogies sometimes that make a point. And Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of heaven. Seven times the phrase kingdom of heaven appears in this passage. And first he begins talking about a sower who went out to sow, a familiar sight for people in his day, a person taking seed and scattering it on his field. And Jesus invites us to see that and to think about that. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. In verse 5, other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And this is where Jesus would close the Bible and say, now the band can come up. That's it. So the disciples wonder, well, what are you doing, Jesus? You have this huge crowd. You have a chance to share the kingdom of heaven. But he doesn't. He's drawing out their hearts with a story. We find, in fact, in verse 19, when Jesus explains this parable, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. He's talking about the heart in these parables. But for the crowds, they don't get to know all these secrets. So why? Let's think about that for a moment. Starting in verse 10, the disciples come and ask, why do you speak in parables? He answers, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. To them, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will, be, he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is difficult. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven are a gift. They must be given, which almost certainly is a divine passive verb, speaking of the action of God that's necessary that people might have their eyes open to see what Jesus is saying, to take hold of it, to believe that it is true. It must be given. And if you have that faith, if you have that sight, if you have the heart that can receive the word, Oh, to you much more will be given. You will overflow. Your heart will be like a fountain of 
living water springing up to eternal life. But if you do not have it, even whatever you have will be taken away. This offends us because Jesus is saying that unless God opens your eyes, you will not hear him. Matthew seeks to help us with that a little bit in the next verse. Mark and Luke just let you have it and you have to deal with it. Look in verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. The next word in Mark and in Luke is so that. So that. So think about that for a second. This is why I speak to them in parables. So that, Mark and Luke say, seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So there's a sense in which Jesus speaks so that some people there won't even understand him. But there's an equally true sense in which he speaks in parables because they just don't see. They just don't hear. There's something that God is doing. There's something that is happening in us that we are responsible for. We're entering into the mysteries of God's sovereignty and of our choice, of God's willing and our willing. And when you figure that out, Come and tell me. But the scriptures are happy to live in this mystery. The secret is given to those to whom it is given. Those to whom it's not given, they won't receive it. Those who won't see, won't see because Jesus didn't intend them to see. Those who won't see, won't see because they just won't. Did Pharaoh harden his heart or did God harden his heart in the book of Exodus? Yes. Yes. Indeed, Jesus says, in their case, he's speaking of the people who won't hear him. It's much like the days of Isaiah. I'm so glad I didn't have Isaiah's job. This is Isaiah's job description. He was to go to a people who would never hear or understand. And and here Jesus quotes from the Greek translation of Isaiah 6, you will indeed hear but never understand and you will indeed see but never perceive. Why? For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes have been closed lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. They have a heart problem, Jesus is saying. But blessed, he turns to the disciples, blessed are your eyes for they see your ears for they hear. Truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So what, what do we do with this? Right now, I invite you to take a step back and realize that Jesus is saying these words to the first people so that for some it would be clouded and then for his disciples it would be revealed. But to us today, we have the benefit in God's kind providence in his kindness to see this whole thing unfold because today he's calling you to turn that your heart could be healed. He's calling you to ask, what is the condition of my heart? And so think about your soil. Think about your heart with me as Jesus goes on and says, hear then the parable of the sower. Verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. 
This is what was sown along the path. So remember the sower sowing seed. Some falls on the path. The birds come and eat it. Maybe your heart today is like this path. You're just not paying attention. You're not very interested in the kingdom of heaven, perhaps. Maybe your wife told you to come, your husband told you to come, and so you're here. And whatever. Or maybe, maybe you're opposed to it. Maybe Jesus is actually saying, what you want is not God's good for you. It's going to harm you. And I'm coming to give you something better. Stop running after that. And you see Jesus like Toby Flenderson saying, you can't have what you want. And so you hear these words and you're not going to do anything with them. Some of us today, perhaps our hearts are more like the rocky ground. Verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So Jesus is awesome. He's great. Yet, verse 21, he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world word, immediately he falls away. Jesus is great. I love forgiveness. I love relationship with people. I love that all of my past that I've done is forgotten, erased. The sentence against me is, is not a sentence of guilty, but a sentence of righteous through Jesus Christ. What an amazing, good gospel hope. Heaven forever with the Lord. I hope there's golf. You know? But then, when Jesus says, Take up your cross and follow me. When he says, share the word of my kingdom, notice persecution arises on account of the word. He says, go and share with your, your friends, your family, what I've done for you. Tell them. <laughs> Love the ones who are unlovely, who your friends hate, who your family hates. Stand up for them when they're unjustly harmed. Be my disciple and follow me. When it costs something, we say, I don't know. Maybe I'll just keep the promises and, and leave all of that stuff. But that's not a choice that we get to make. And so immediately we fall away. Maybe that's our heart today. We, it's the commitment. Remember Jesus committed himself to you? He laid down his life to make you his own. That's how much he loves you. But we forget, and our hearts grow cold to that. And so our commitment can wax and wane as we gain sight of and lose sight of Jesus and all he's done for us. So I, I invite you back there. How is your heart? Maybe it's not just rocky soil. Maybe it's, it's like uh, the, the soil with, with all of the thorns in it, the thorn patch, this is the one who hears the word, verse 22, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. John, in 1 John chapter 2, he's, he warns, as John does in very stark language, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, 
desires of the eyes and pride and possessions, the stuff you have. All that is not from the Father, but that's from the world. And that world, you know what? It's passing away along with all its desires. But whoever does the will of God will abide forever. And some of us are like, "Ah, yeah, that sounds nice, but I like my stuff. And I don't quite have enough yet to trust God. I need a little more. And when I have a little more, maybe I'll trust God. Maybe I'll invest myself, my time, my, my talents, my treasure. I'll invest myself in his kingdom then, but not yet, because I need more. Jesus warns us that's a deceitful desire. Comfort and security, they don't exist apart from him. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another, 60, and in another, 30. Notice that he doesn't just say he hears the word and understands it. He says he bears fruit. Hears the word, understands it. Fruit comes. You'll know them by their fruit, Jesus says. And it's not a competition. We're not trying to outfruit one another. It's not like I want to be the hundred and ha, you're just a 30. No, God sovereignly gives the fruit. We minister the word, he gives the growth. Sometimes nothing comes like Isaiah's day. But we wait and we hope and we pray. Sometimes it's just the fruit of the spirit in us, but we just go out and we sow the seed if God allows. And as long as he allows And so how's your heart today? This is what Jesus is coming to do, to expose the condition of your heart and even to cultivate it, to make it something new. But the question then is, how do we cultivate our hearts? How do we submit ourselves to God's work so that our soil could be ready for growth? And even before that question, should we? Because doesn't that go against everything we hear in culture? Isn't everything that's in our heart just good? After all, like every single Disney movie that I watched growing up, the plot was follow your heart, and then they follow their heart, and then they're a Disney princess, right? It's a strong narrative. Whatever you want is good. And anyone who says otherwise hates you. That is the message that we're hearing increasingly. Is that true? I think of a book uh, by a guy named Don Miller, great little book, early 2000s, called Blue Like Jazz. And in that book, he tells the story of himself, but as a rabbit, Don Rabbit. So there's, there once was a rabbit named Don Rabbit. He was a pretty cool guy. And Don Rabbit one day saw Sexy Carrot, and he wanted Sexy Carrot. So you know what he did? He chased Sexy Carrot. And he ran after Sexy Carrot as fast as he could, but she was even faster than him. So he winds up running all around Oregon, because that's where he lived, and all around the whole United States. He winds up chasing Sexy Carrot all the way to the moon. And so, as you might expect, Don Rabbit was tired. He was worn out chasing Sexy Carrot. But with one final bit of energy. He sees sexy carrot in his sights and he lunges for her, takes hold of her, and he got her. And so he got to eat the carrot. And the moral of the story 
is that if you work hard and you focus on your goals, you can do anything you put your mind to. But then there's a second moral. Because Don Rabbit died because the, the, the carrot was poison. So the second moral of the story is that the things that you want most in life, sometimes they'll kill you. So perhaps you might want to imagine, perhaps there's something wrong with what I want. Perhaps there's, there can be something bent about what I want. And maybe there's a good and better, a more true way. Maybe there are things that are truly beautiful, things that don't destroy. And that's what Jesus is setting before you. He's warning you about the deceitfulness of riches. He's warning you, as Paul did in Ephesians 4, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He would encourage us to hear from one another, as Hebrews 3 says, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin promises big. All of the ways contrary to God, to his heart, they promise big. And the thing is, they deliver big. But it's not what they promise. And the scriptures would encourage you not to be naive. Jesus is encouraging you not to be naive in this passage, but to imagine that our hearts could be cultivated to something more true, to align with his kingdom. And so how, if you would take a risk to go there with me, how would you cultivate the soil of your heart to make it ready for the kingdom? Psalm 51 speaks about this. David was a king who was like Don Rabbit. He had something he wanted and he chased after it hard. He committed adultery committed murder so that he could have the woman that he committed adultery with. He got what he wanted, and then it destroyed his family. It destroyed his relationship with God, even his kingdom. And yet the Lord would be gracious to him and call him home. And in his repentance, he wrote a song for people to sing so that they would remember that chasing what you want destroys you, and God has something better. And he mentors us there in Psalm 51, verse 17. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart the Lord will not despise. A broken heart, seeing the way in which chasing whatever we want, whenever we want it, creates wreckage in ourselves against others and dishonors God, the one who made us one who himself would offer us a spring welling up to eternal life. And yet we've hewn for ourselves broken cisterns that hold no water and think they'll satisfy us. We should be broken if we would just see, if we would acknowledge it. There's something wrong right here. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Psalm 51.10, just a little earlier in the song, how do we get there? How do we get the broken heart, the kind of heart that the Lord can work with? We come before God and we say, we can't do it. We need a work of creation. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. There is not a clean heart in here, God. God created all things of nothing, remember? In his divine power, we need that same kind of divine power to bring about a clean heart where there is not one. 
So we beg him, broken. I need better desires, Lord, because I desire crap. And I see it, but I still want it. Help me, Lord. There was a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. And in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis, this little Eustace, we get to know him, and he's the worst. He is a know-it-all, even when he has no idea what he's talking about. He's terribly mean, especially when people are most kind to him. And yet, he stumbles into Narnia with Edmund and Lucy, these two children, and goes on adventures with them, sailing the seas, and finds himself on Dragon Island. And there on Dragon Island, he finds treasure. And he's thinking, oh man, I'm going to show those other kids when I have all this wealth. So he takes some of the dragon treasure and puts a ring on his arm. And the, the magic starts to work into him. And he falls asleep. And what happens is the nature that was already inside of him, he just became. And he wakes up a dragon. And he can't do anything about it. And so for a while, he starts to wallow in self-pity. But after some time, he starts to see, I had this coming. There's something wrong in me. I've mistreated everyone around me. And what was I getting for it? What did I want? And as he goes through this internal process, he encounters Aslan, the great lion, who comes to him. And, and naturally, he was afraid but as Aslan comes gently to him, he tells him that he can't take this off by himself. He, he's, he's tried to scrape and claw at the skin, but he can't get beneath it. It keeps growing back. And so Aslan says, no, I need to do this for you. And Eustace relents and lets Aslan take him into his great paws and Aslan reaches deep within him with his claws out and it hurts, it hurts bad, deeper and deeper to the core until he gets his heart and he puts in him a new heart and plunges him into the water and pulls him out a new boy. And he was new. This is what we need. We need the Lord Jesus to take hold of our hearts and it will hurt because the things inside of us will scream, no, you need me. You need me. If you don't have me, you're nothing. You're not going to have any happiness in this life unless you do what you want. And so you will have to be able to hear those lies and say, no, <laughs> standing before me is the one who's all I want. He's everything. And you have to let him take that from you and give you something new, a new heart, eyes to see, ears to hear, a new treasure. And so here's how you check your pulse on this. This is Jesus' words in, in Matthew 13, 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he went and he sold all that he had so that he could buy the field. He did this in his joy. When you see Jesus, do you see treasure? 
do you see one who you would enjoy? Not out of just duty. I have to do this because the pastor says I have to do this. No. Do you see absolute, utter, endless delight? The thing that you were made for. Do you see your hearts cry before you? Something that you would let nothing stand between you and it. You would break through a wall. You would swim over an ocean. There's nothing that would stop you from having this thing. Jesus standing before you. Is that Jesus to you? I'll be honest. I'm the professional Christian and it's not me all the time. And I need the Lord to do a work in me so that I can see him again. And remember my first love. The one who gave himself for me. The one who rose for me. The one who stands in heaven advocating for me every day despite all of the nonsense that I do, despite all of the trash that I desire in my heart, continues to advocate and say, Father, this one is my beloved. This one is covered with my blood. He's ours forever. I forget. I need to remember. Check your pulse. What is Jesus to you? Is he Toby Flenderson? Is he telling you you can't have what you want? Is he the delight of your heart? And today, would you risk letting Jesus show you the way you are? Show you your heart lifted up before you? Would you risk letting him tell you that some of those things you desire are going to take you down a path that you don't really want to go? They'll destroy you. They promise happiness. They'll give it for a moment. And then they'll steal it forever. Would you let him tell you that? And would you let him tell you that I will give you treasure that will not fade? It is undefiled, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded until the time when Jesus returns. Would you confess that you are a sinner? Can you say the words, I am a sinner. I've done wrong. I need forgiveness. And see that Jesus has supplied it all. You'll find unsurpassed treasure in him. My prayer today is that you would start, as you see the treasure that Jesus is, you'd start, and I pray this for myself too, that we would start to say to the Lord, not, well, how can I still follow you and and let my will be done? (laughs) And instead start to say something like, okay, Lord, okay, your will be done. Your will is good. Because you are good. This is why Jesus matters today. He shows us why we are the way we are. He exposes the condition of our hearts and he would even make us new. Father, thank you. Thank you for this hope. I need to be made new again and again. Thank you that you've finally done it through Jesus. Thank you that all of us today looking to you are new creations. The old is gone. Behold the new. Help us to take hold of that. Help us to hear what you say about us. Help us to see the good life that you call us to. Help us to see bearing a cross, not as the world sees it, as shame and folly. (coughs) Help us to see that this is the path to life. This momentary affliction is storing up for us a weight of glory we can't imagine. 
Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.